John chapter 6. Over the next several weeks, we are going to be looking at the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And the first today is in John chapter 6, where Jesus tells us that he is the bread of life. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can come into this place as followers of your Son, realizing that our eyes have been opened to your marvelous grace by your own power and by what your Son has done. And so everything that we do here, we seek to bring glory to the name of Jesus. We do not make much of ourselves. We make much of him. So please, as your word is open, speak with power to us to see Jesus as he truly is. He is bread for our souls. He is our life. He is our hope. He is our guarantee of heaven. Eternity with our great God forever has been won through him. And Father, we admit at times we get distracted. Doubts come into our minds. We sometimes stray from the path, but yet you are faithful. And here in this word, Jesus promises to raise us up on the last day. He secures us. He is your power to bring men, women, and children into the kingdom and give them a place beside you forever, a place that we do not deserve. But he has won out of your mercy, your kindness, and your grace towards sinners Jesus has won that for us. So tune our ears this morning to your wonderful word, and may we be changed by it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 6, I'll be reading verses 22 to 40. 22 to 40. It says, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. O Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning that you would give us eyes to see Jesus, to come to him and to believe in him so that we might share in eternal life which he offers to all who do. Have your way in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds, in our wills. Have your way in your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite superhero movies is the Guardians of the Galaxy. How many of you all have seen that? A good chunk of you. And one of, you, one of my favorite characters on that movie is named Drax. And what makes Drax so funny is that he does not understand metaphor. He gets very confused. We're told that his people are a very literal people. And that makes talking to him very awkward at times, but also pretty comical. Jesus was a master of metaphor. And often those that he was teaching could not understand the metaphors that he gave, and it would just go right over their heads. They wouldn't get it. So what made Drax so funny in those Guardians movies is tragic in the storyline of Scripture because misunderstanding Jesus does not give comic relief. It's the difference between eternal life and death. And there's nothing more serious than that. That certainly is the case in the story that we have in front of us. In John chapter 6, Jesus has fed 5,000 men, we're told. We don't know exactly how many people total there were, but at least 5,000 men were there. And he fed them out of five loaves of bread and two fish. It's a pretty extraordinary miracle. The people who were there and saw what happened, they knew that a real prophet was there in front of them, even the great prophet that Moses had told them would come. In fact, they were so enamored with Jesus that they were going to try to make him their king. So what did Jesus do? He disappeared. And his disciples, they got into a boat, and they began to cross to the other side. But on their way, a terrible storm came up on the sea, tossing them about. And Jesus walks out onto the water, gets into the boat with them, and immediately they're on the other side. The sea is calm. Everything is fine because Jesus is there with them. And the text that we just read picks up right after that. We're told that the next morning, the crowd starts looking for Jesus, but he can't be found. They don't know how he left. They don't know where he went. And so they got into some boats and decided to cross to the other side of the sea in Capernaum to see if Jesus had in fact gone there. And when they arrived, it apparently did not take them very long to find him. And they asked him, when did you get here? But Jesus is not interested in answering their questions. 
because Jesus understands what is going on inside of their hearts. He says to them, you're not looking for me because you understood the miracle that I just did out there. You are looking for me because I put food in your stomachs. Their hearts had not been touched by Jesus, just their bellies. And in a day like ours when most people, I say most people, are never truly hungry in the place where we live, this right here might seem like a strange incident, a strange conversation. But for most of the people in Jesus' day, the primary question or the primary concern that they would have had was, where am I going to get my next meal? I'm hungry. I'm always chasing that next meal. And right here in front of them was a man who did something that met that need. He produced a meal for thousands of people out of something the size of a family dinner. And so it would make sense, would it not, that you would want to keep this guy around. I want this guy close to me. I'm going to be getting hungry soon, and he's able to do that. He's useful. But Jesus knows their motives. They've missed the point of what he has done. And he didn't feed this crowd only because they were hungry. He knew they were hungry, and he wanted to give them bread. But that was not Jesus' primary motive in giving them food. He fed them to teach them something about who he is and about what they really needed. They needed something more than just what their next meal brings to them. That food... It buys you a little more time, hours, a day. But Jesus is offering something more here. And so he says to them there in verse 27, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And so these people, they are used to going out every day and working for their wages that would provide them food to eat and meet that need. You work a day's labor, you receive enough for what you need to put in your mouths. He says to them, though, work instead for a food that lasts forever, that the Son of Man will give to you. Jesus is delving into metaphor here. So he says, every day you guys go out and you work for food that will ultimately spoil, but I'm telling you to work for something far better, something lasting something that comes to you from God himself. So they naturally ask, what works are we to do? He told them, don't work for that food, work for this food. So they ask, what are we supposed to do then? What works are we supposed to perform so that we can have access to this special food? It sounds like a reasonable request. The problem is, is that Jesus is now talking about spiritual things while they still have food on the brain. And his response makes that clear. He's telling them that the work that God requires so that the people can receive this bread is faith. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. 
that you believe in him whom he has sent. So you ask, what is it we're supposed to do? What works are we supposed to perform? Jesus says, the work of God that is required to receive this food is faith. It's belief. There is no physical work they are to go out and do to earn this food. There are no rules to keep. There are no routines, no daily requirements. Jesus tells them that access to this kind of bread and the blessings of eternal life that come with it are received simply by believing in the one whom God has sent. And interestingly enough, they understand here that Jesus is talking about himself because they say, show us that you're the one who gives us this bread. They say, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And before we move forward, I want to remind you about an important time in the life of Israel, in their history, that connects to this particular story. It's those 40 years when God fed them in the wilderness with manna that dropped from the sky. They were in a place, they had just been delivered from the land of Egypt. They get out there, there's probably a million people out there in the desert, and it is desert. How are they all going to eat? There's not enough animals out there to kill, not a very good place to get out there and grow crops. Pretty dry and dusty, soil is bad. What are we going to eat? And God takes it upon himself to feed his people every day from the sky. Something falls to the ground. They'd never seen anything like it before. It said it looked like coriander seed, and they would grind it up and turn it into bread. And the word manna actually comes from the question, what is it? Because they don't know what it is. But for 40 years, this is what God did. Every day when they woke up, they would see stuff on the ground. They could go out and collect just enough to be able to eat. They were not to collect more than they could eat because if they tried to store it up, it would spoil and rot. And on, Saturday, on, on Friday night, they could go out and collect enough for Saturday the Sabbath so they wouldn't have to go out and work on that particular day and rest. God did that for 40 years. He fed his people and gave them nourishment to live. God did that, bread from heaven. That connects to our story here because what did Jesus just do? He just fed them bread in the wilderness too. And now he is telling them that there is a kind of manna come down from heaven that he will give to them. So that's the backdrop for this conversation. Here is this man, Jesus, telling them that he is the giver of bread from heaven. And from what I've read, some of the Jewish teachers over the centuries had been telling the people that in the last days when the Messiah would come, bread would start falling from the sky again. Man is coming down, and God's going to take care of his people like he did in former days. In fact, this is a quote from one of their scrolls. It says, It shall come to pass that the treasury of manna shall again descend from on high, and they will eat of it in those years. So these people say to Jesus, If you're the one that is the giver of bread, show us. Bring the bread down from heaven like Moses did. 
Because in their eyes, what he just did on the day before, he didn't bring bread down from heaven. All he did was take some barley loaves that had grown from the ground and multiplied them. So some of them probably have it in their mind, well, that was a really interesting trick you did. But they're not seeing the connection at all. They want bread to come down like Moses gave to them. But here Jesus corrects them. He says, Moses did not give your ancestors the bread from heaven. Who did? Who is the giver of the bread? He says, my father, my father gave it to you, the one that I know. He sent down bread from heaven back then, and he sends down true bread from heaven now. In fact, he says, the bread that he now sends down from heaven is far better than what your ancestors received back then. He has now sent down the true bread from heaven. And so the manna that God sent in the wilderness, it was always meant to point forward to a better manna that was still yet to come, the true manna, that would not just sustain them for a day, but would sustain them always. But their response to Jesus tells us that they are still not getting it. They're not getting metaphor. They're stuck on literal here. They're stuck on physical instead of spiritual. They misunderstand the bread. They misunderstand the person. They misunderstand the kind of life that he says they will receive. And so they say to Jesus, Sir, give us this bread always. Well, that's the kind of bread we need. A one-time meal, always sustaining us. Give us this bread so that we can be sustained always rather than one day. And this story is not so different from the one that happened two chapters prior to this. So if you know the Gospel of John, in John chapter 4, there is a woman that meets Jesus out at the well, called the Samaritan woman in the well. And Jesus comes out to her and he says that there is a kind of water that he gives. Rick there in the back has a shirt on that says something about coming to Jesus and you'll never thirst again. Well, that's from that story. John chapter 4, she's out there collecting water every day from Jacob's well. And Jesus says, I've got a kind of water that I will give to you that if you drink of it, you will never be thirsty again. And she says what they say here, sir, I want this water always so that I don't have to come out to this well anymore. Right over her head and right over the heads of the people here in chapter 6. So here, verse 35, Jesus cuts to the chase. And he makes the first of those seven I am statements in John, statements that speak of his divinity, who he is, what he has come to do. And he says to these people, I am the bread of life. Stop talking about physical bread, bread that you eat every day, that sustains your body. I am the bread of life who has come down from heaven to sustain your soul. I have come to meet your greater need than any bread that you have ever eaten before. God has sent me down to give you life forever. And there is a word here that is repeated a few times in these last six verses that gets to the heart of how a person receives this life. 
It's spoken in verse 35. It's there in verse 36. It's also there in verse 40. Repetition draws us in and tells us something important here about what Jesus wants these people to know, and it's the word believe. Believe. So receiving the bread of life, Jesus is telling them, requires believing in the Son of God. That's what is necessary. Faith, as Jesus has already said, is the work that must be done. But that word believe is also referenced by some other words that Jesus uses. Look there with me in verse 35. He says something pretty important here. He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so those aren't two separate things that Jesus is telling these people that are required, coming to him and believing in him. Coming to Jesus is the same thing as believing in him. There is no difference. So the person who comes to Jesus is the person who has believed in him in a saving way, in a soul-securing, life-giving, satisfying way. There is a way of coming to Jesus that is not saving. Let me say that again. There is a way of coming to Jesus that is not saving. Because that is what these people in this story have done. They have come to Jesus. They've looked for Jesus. In fact, they could even say that they have followed Jesus. They've tracked him down. But they do not believe that he is the life-giving son of God. They witnessed a miracle. But witnessing miracles does not cause anyone to believe in the way that Jesus is talking about here. And these people are proof of that. A few years ago, I heard a man ask a question. He had a legitimate question and concern as a pastor that he wanted to know how we are to reach modern people, our culture, even young people. So his question was, how do we do that? These people don't believe in truth, at least not objective truth. It's a squishy truth. They don't believe in God. They have no respect for authority. So how in the world are we ever going to reach these people? How are they ever going to believe, in a sense, like Jesus is talking about here? And so one man that was up on the stage, his response was, we need these people to get out there and witness a miracle. And everybody clapped and amened. And I thought to myself, there are lots of people in the Bible who saw miracles straight from the hands of Jesus. And they still didn't believe. So if they didn't believe, 
Is that really what we need today is for all sorts of miracles to happen and just think that that's going to cause everybody's eyes to be open? These people just had the Son of God in the flesh standing in front of them, multiplying five loaves of bread to feed about 10,000 people out there, and yet they do not believe. And so we think something that can just be explained away by, well, that was just coincidence. Today, that's what people really need. They need something that reaches down deep into their hearts and in their souls. And it is called the power of God that gives life to the blind. Helping people to see where they had not seen before. Raising the dead is what needs to happen. Nothing short of the power of God is required for people to believe. That's what Jesus tells us right here. That's his response. He knows that the human heart is hardened enough where it can withstand a direct miracle from God and explain it away. Have you ever had that happen in your life before? There's probably all sorts of things that God has done for you over the years. And unless you've written them all down, documented them, you will never think of them again. Maybe a few stand out. I've got a couple in my own life. But our hearts are fickle that way. God does a miracle. He answers a prayer. He sends somebody or something to you that is exactly what you need. Miracle. And then two weeks later, you're not thinking about it again, and you think it was just a coincidence. Well, maybe it wasn't really God. We need something greater to give us eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. And Jesus knows that. So he tells us here, this is what is required. Not a miracle. He just worked that. He says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We've already seen that coming to Jesus is equated with believing in Jesus. They're the same thing. So all that the Father gives to Jesus will, in fact, come to Jesus. That is what will overcome the hardness of the heart and the spiritual blindness of the soul. It requires a work of God himself to reverse all of the unbelief, all of the hardening, all of the doubts inside of us. We need God and nothing less. No miracle, we need God. That miracle life-giving miracle. There is a work that God does in the soul of a man, woman, or child that causes a person to see when he was once blind, to believe what he once rejected, and to come when he once sat still. And this work of faith, it is impossible with man. Natural man on his own is unable to come to Jesus, but the Spirit of God makes him able. And any good testimony will include something of this. I know many of you have a story that says something like this. That there was a time in my life when I did not see Jesus as anything more than a spiritual guru, a good man, maybe a myth, But there was a day, maybe it was a season, some period of time, when he became light and he became life to me. 
I'd heard about him my entire life, maybe even grew up in church. Heard people tell me that he died for me, that I can be forgiven, that I can have the hope of heaven. It never meant anything to me, but there was a day or a time when it started to make inroads in my heart and I started to become curious. I started to think on these things. Walls began to be broken down. And now I'm listening. And eventually, that Jesus, who was nothing to me, at some point in there, he became everything to me. There was darkness. God spoke like he did in Genesis 1. And now there was light. That's what's necessary. I used to love my sin. Used to reject God. And now all of a sudden I love Christ. Now his way has become sweet to me. I used to wallow in filth. And now I love what is pure. I used to walk in the way of darkness and evil. But now I delight in holiness. What has happened to me? And can we not say, what hath God wrought in us? God has done a work inside of me that cannot be explained by anything that I have done. He has done it. The Son of God truly came and gave his life for mine. Not just a general people. Me. He loved me and gave his life for me. And now he's given me a new name and a new path and a new hope and a new eternity. God has done all of that for me. I think any good testimony will speak something of that. And many of you here have that testimony. You used to not believe. You used to not have eyes to see. But God gives sight to the blind. That's what he does in the hearts of men. And that is what is required in the hearts of men if they are going to believe. So I ask this morning, is this you? Amen, brother. Amen. Many people in this room, there's no doubt. I saw Mike raise his hand back there. I have to imagine there was a time in Mike's life when somebody would have looked at him and all that he was doing and would have just said, that guy, there is no chance that that man would ever be saved. And maybe somebody looked at you at some point and said the same thing. There's no way that woman, oh, she loves darkness. And now you sit here listening to the word of God and you want to follow Jesus and you've committed everything to him. God did that. You did not do that. God did. The essence of Christianity is not a list of rules. That's what so many people think that it is, just trying to be good. It's not just about knowing your Bible or coming to a building on Sunday for an hour, involving those things, yes, but those things are not the central theme of Christianity. The essence of what we call Christianity is what Jesus is teaching us here, that he becomes your greatest need and you know it. And you'll cash everything else in for him. Your body needs bread to live, 
Your soul needs eternal life. And God provides that kind of bread in his son. So the father gives souls to the son, we are told here. He awakens those souls to see his son for who they are. And those souls come to the son by faith. And then we're told that those souls are protected by the son and they are never lost. The son promises in verse 39 to lose none whom the father gives to him and he will by his own power raise them up on that last day. It is a promise from God. It is unshakable. There are people in this room right now who are thinking on eternity because it might be very close and maybe you are closer than what you realize. But there are people here struggling with health conditions. They know that their time may be short. And how sweet it is to know that on the other side of that is King Jesus and all his light and glory and hope forever. And we step into that, maybe a little cautious, maybe a little concerned, but with faith, believing that this promise right here is true. It is rock solid. And any doubt that creeps into our mind has come from us and not from the steady word of God. And if that is you, brother or sister, hold on to this promise right here. Jesus promises to raise you up on that last day. You will not be lost. You will not slip through his fingers. His grip is tight that anyone who has been given to him by the Father will stay in his hand and you will not be lost. If it was up to any other man to hold on to you, any other power that's out there somewhere, there is reason to doubt, but not when you have Jesus. Let me give a few final encouragements before we close. For those who are here today and your life has been changed by coming to the Son, that you would say that this is you. You believe what Jesus says here. You are eating of this particular bread, this spiritual bread. Give praise to God for the work of faith that he has brought about in you. He deserves praise, worship, glory, honor. He has done it. The Father has given you to the Son. The Son gave his life for your forgiveness to buy you with his blood. The Spirit in real time, he breathed life and gave you eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. He has raised up your dead soul here on earth, making you new. And the Son promises to preserve you and raise you up on that last day. All of that is being given to you, not earned by you, given to you by the work that Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, Spirit have done. So give praise to your God this morning. He has offered to us and given to us the greatest gift, true bread that has come down from heaven. But maybe you're here today and you simply find yourself interested, intrigued, 
but not yet there. Or maybe you're something like the people that are here in this story that we've just read. You're looking for Jesus. You're looking for Jesus, but it's not so that you can find what he is offering. You're looking for him for a different reason. You've come to Jesus to have a different kind of need met. You want your bills paid, your stomach filled, maybe a loved one healed. And God can do those wonderful things for those who come to his son, but those things are not your primary need. They are your primary felt need right now. It's what you're feeling the most. But Jesus is making it clear here that you have something much more pressing that your soul desperately needs, but it is hardened to feel. It doesn't sense this. This doesn't really feel very real. But Jesus is telling you that it is more real than anything else that you are feeling right now. Unfortunately for you and for me, God is sensitive to your greatest need, and he has sent his son, the true bread, down from heaven to meet it. You need the life of Christ breathed into you to transform you into the man or woman that you were created to be. But right now, sin is holding you captive. And you may not feel its chains, But the worst chains of all are the ones that you cannot see or the ones that you cannot feel. And Jesus, we are told, came to set us free. And so will you pray this morning that God would give you a sense of your soul's hunger, your need, your deepest need, so that you will desire the bread of life the one who came down from heaven, and so that you can receive all that he offers to you, all that is included in the words eternal life. There is so much packed into there that all of that would become yours. You don't need to earn it. Jesus has earned it himself, and he says that he will preserve it too if you will simply believe. So will you ask God right now to give you a sense of that need, but also to give you a sense of the truth of his son? God is the giver of bread. And will you ask that great and good God that he will mercifully give this bread to you to satisfy your soul? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you are telling us about your goodness towards sinners here in this passage. People wandering from you, lost from you, rejecting you, even hating you. And what did you do? You delighted to send your son into a world that would reject him and kill him so that through his death, we would have life. The love that you offer to the world is sacrificial and generous beyond all imagination. It exceeds what we call love in this world. We abuse that word here, 
but you show us through your son what it actually is. You delight in drawing people to be in your presence forever. And you have conquered our sin and death and Satan through Jesus, the true bread. And I pray today, God, that you would open the eyes of the blind to be able to see him as he really is. And for those who maybe are just getting sleepy, not just here in their seats, but sleepy in their souls, wake us up to taste of Jesus this morning and know that he is good. Reinvigorate your church to feed on Christ by faith every day and to be able to live for you rather than living for ourselves. Would you please bless us this morning, God, with that kind of life? We know from this text that it requires a work of you. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot conjure it up from the inside. You bring it to us from the outside, from your life that you place in our souls. You are a God worthy of praise. And may we be a people today who delight to give praise to our Heavenly Father and His Son and His Spirit. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus who has secured life for us and preserves it forever. May we, Lord Jesus, have eyes to see you, come to you, and believe in you today. Amen. If today, when we close, you have any questions, if today you want to know Jesus as Savior, you've got some things on your mind, things that you need to work through, would you please find me or one of the other elders who are here? If you're Jason, Angel, Arnie, if you would raise your hands. We've got other elders, pastors here. Please grab one of these guys at the end and let them know that you want to follow Jesus. Recommit your life to Jesus or trust in him for the first time. We are here to make disciples. And it begins in a moment when you first have faith to see the Son. But discipleship continues as we continue for the rest of our lives looking to Jesus for everything we need until he brings us home. So we're not looking for a one-time act of faith. It is a continued act of faith as you look to Christ. So please grab me or one of these other men, and we will do everything we can to try to point you in the right direction of faith. This morning we're going to close with the Lord's Supper. The reason why I wanted to close with it today is because we are talking about Jesus being the bread. And no, we do not believe here that Jesus or this bread becomes Jesus. That's not what we teach. Jesus is talking about spiritual things here. He's using physical bread to teach a deeper spiritual truth. He's using metaphor. And we don't want that metaphor to go over our heads. We want to understand that Jesus has come to be a kind of bread that nourishes our soul. And so on the first Sunday of every month, we gather around this table. We eat of bread to remind us to believe, look, come to Jesus. We don't believe that this bread nourishes our soul. It points to the one who nourishes our soul. 
And then we partake of the cup that reminds us of the blood that Jesus Christ shed for sinners like me and for you. And so this morning, if you are a believer, you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you have been born again to a new hope, we want to invite you this morning to this table that when the elements come to you, that you would partake of those so that you can remember Jesus Christ and look to him today. Those who are going to be serving the supper, if you would, please come forward. And before we begin this time of worship, boy, it's a lot cooler down here on the floor than it was up there. The first thing that we do is partake of the bread. And again, that bread is a reminder that Jesus is our bread. He is our nourishment. He is life for us. And that he offered up his body on a cross so that we can fasten our eyes to him by faith and believe that as our bread, he gives life. I'm going to ask Brother Angel, if you would, please pray for the bread. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again of being reminded that you sent down the true bread from heaven that if anyone believes on him will never hunger again and that eternal life will be the gift forever that we receive. We're reminded this morning once again of the true fact that he is the bread and that his body was broken for us on the cross where he laid down his life for us the likes of us. We thank you for that. In his name, amen.
bread is representative of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that he offered up for his church. We receive it today as a church. told in God's word that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. And we know that Jesus came to offer up his blood. The sprinkling of his blood on his people is what cleanses us and makes us pure and makes us holy, makes us able to enter into the presence of God. If we carried our sin with us, there would be no access to heaven. Nothing unholy will tread there. Nothing can go there that is sinful. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are washed clean. We believe that, and that is symbolized in the cup. I'm going to ask Jason if you would please pray for the cup. Father, thank you again for meeting us at a table, Lord, and for the shedding of your blood on our behalf, blood that, as it courses through our bodies, is able to sustain us for life. And thank you for the life that you give us, Father. In your name we pray this morning. Amen.
cup symbolizes the blood that the Lord Jesus offered up for his church once for all. One time he did it. That's all that was required. And we remember every month by the partaking of this cup together as a church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we could spend this time in worship of you. And we know, Lord, that if we have eyes to see Jesus this morning, as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we preach or listen, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, if you have given us eyes to see Christ, we know that those eyes have been opened by you, and we give you praise and honor and glory. And may we leave this place continuing to worship with lives that have been transformed by your power. As we continue to look to Jesus for all of our needs, we pray, God, that this week this church would not forget Jesus. We are prone to do that. As the song says, our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Keep Christ close. You tell us that if we stay near to you, you will draw near to us. And may we do that this week. May we seek holiness. Delight in your love and experience your joy as we look to your Son. And we ask it all in his name. Amen.